good morning from me, everybody. Lovely day. Hope you have a blessed day after this service. Um, and we're continuing looking at Exodus, which we've titled Freedom from Slavery. And I think the whole message of the book of Exodus is that everybody listening today can meet God and be free from like chains, sinful or unhelpful chains in your life. Jesus can do that for everyone listening. If there's any children listening and you like to draw or think or write things down, do this one today. Jesus having a fight with a snake. Think about that. Jesus having a fight with a snake and winning. Or if you like writing, write down what you think church can do to be more useful. Have a thing about that. And then give me the list later and I'll take it to the elders. Because children know more than us. How can church be useful? Um, this individual sermon is called Jesus Makes People Useful. Right, so take six seconds and think, what is the answer to this question? What is it to be a useful human being? Because I've been thinking about that all week. What is it, your neighbor knocks on the door this afternoon, excuse me, I was just wondering, what is it to be a useful human being? What do you say? Have a think. I don't know if anyone's listening and you're thinking, I wish I was more useful. I feel useless. You ever thought that? Well, what is it then to become more useful? Have you ever been in work and you just wish everybody around you is more useful? What is it to be useful? Well, I've been researching it <clears throat> and it's really confusing being a useful human. What does it mean? One of the things that kept coming up in my research was, don't bother anyone and you will live a useful life. But it was funny because in that forum, a teacher had replied and said, I bother children for a living and it's for their good. So you have to bother people. You can't just leave people to their own devices. Yesterday there was a football match on. There was an injury in the football match and they panned back to the BBC studio and an ex-footballer, Cesc Fabregas, said, football just doesn't matter right now. What matters more than everything right now is... And I thought, he's going to answer my sermon question. What is usefulness? What is it, Mr. Fabregas? Now, I'm not a big fan of him anyway, because he played for Arsenal, and we're all Spurs fans in my family. But he said, all that matters now is health. And I thought, oh... Because I know unhealthy people and they're often the most fruitful people in the world. You remember that? I've held the hands of dying people in hospital who in that last five minutes, incomplete weakness and lack of health, have the joy of the Lord. Like, like I've known some healthy people to never have. So it can't be health. Because unhealthy people or ill people or suffering people... They, if they've got something, they can put us healthy people to shame. So I think there is more to life than being healthy. That's not the mark of a fruitful life. Although we do love health and pray for it. So have you thought of the answer? What is it to be useful? Um, um, if we just live for health, if that's your answer, be healthy, don't bother people, um, I think we're selling our lives short. The most popular answer to this in my research wasn't, don't bother, it was this. Don't cause harm to other people. 
And if you, children and adults, according to my research, live your life without causing harm to anyone, that is what the world needs. And you will flourish as a useful human. Look, I get that. Harm is bad most of the time. But I still think, can't we do a bit better than that? Because, let me just throw out some problems with if you think the point of your life is just to not cause harm to anyone and then you're being truly useful. I was thinking about some problems with that. Um, I'm convinced that some forms of music cause me harm. But if we were then to write a law and ban the person writing that music from making the music because it caused me harm, you then have a problem that we're causing that person harm. Do you see the problem? It's quite slippery, isn't it, this don't cause harm thing? It's really popular with young people who are really into never offend or cause harm to anyone at the moment. I got another one. A man tears down your road at 40 miles an hour, but it's a 30 at midnight. And it causes an elderly person in your street great anxiety. The pensioner was frightened. It caused them harm. And they've broken the law. What though, if the driver was speeding because his wife in the car needed emergency medical treatment? It becomes complex then because harm caused to one person, the pensioner who was frightened, might mean good to another person, the wife who needed emergency medical surgery. So it's almost impossible to live by. What if a grandparent piles Werther's originals into the life of a grandchild's mouth? What a lovely thing to do. But then 30 years later, all, that, all their teeth fall out. And what was a lovely thing might have caused harm further down the line. But it was a lovely thing. Everybody loves Werther's original. Half the time, though, nobody knows what it means to not cause harm. And it was quite overwhelming how many people, their axiom of life is to be useful, never cause harm. It's really slippery. Um, we did a talk on... Um, Addiction to internet pornography last year, it's online. A lot of people who get into that life will say it doesn't cause harm because I do it in private. I watch these things in private. But what you find then, what you develop in private often works its way out in public and your thought process can become warped. So defining that is really tough. Finally on that, Harm and what you define as harm, and I'm causing us to think this morning because I really think church should connect with real life and real thought processes. Finally, harm can differ from country to country. And if we as a majority define what's right and how to properly live, and we just define it among ourselves without consulting, say, God, then all you can do when you come to another country is say, well, they must be right because they've defined it for themselves as well. And you just have cultural relativism as to what causes harm or not. Problem there is, in some countries around the world, you end up having to condone, because they think it's not harmful, the marriage of old seedy men to really young girls. That happens in uh, Tierra del Fuego, and it's acceptable by law, and it doesn't cause them harm. You have to sort of nod your head to the jihadi indoctrination of young boys in some countries around the world. Some countries around the world allow marrying animals. And we just have to stand by and nod. Okay, well, if you think that doesn't go to harm, well, okay, I'm not going to harm you. It's just country 
to country. And as long as people consent and it doesn't cause harm, those are the two highest axioms at the moment in the world. Live this way and you'll be useful. Make sure you've got permission and make sure it doesn't harm anybody. Well, the problem is you're in cultural relativism there. It's really hard to live by those things. What objective outside principle is there to say don't cause harm should be the highest motive of life? There is no outside world. Um, outside rule for that. You just make it up yourself. So, with those things in mind, we in church always consult what the Word of God says on what a useful life is. And as Paula said at the end of Exodus chapter 3, God, well it's Jesus in that bush, as Paula said, talking to Moses, right, I want my people out of this 400 years of being bullied by the Egyptians, you're going to come over here to this land and you're going to live there. And you're going to be useful. And what that requires is, you're going to follow me, live my way, you're going to love each other in the way I say to do it, and you will be useful to planet Earth my way. And when you live properly like that, it's going to be like a picture of heaven on earth. So I'm going to call this patch of land the promised land. And it's just going to be like a digital display to the world of what proper useful life is. And by the way, that is exactly the same today. The Lord God still wants people to live life His way to be useful. Listen to this. This is a prayer in the New Testament, that churches like us are supposed to pray. And it's a prayer for our governments and people who rule over us. And it says this, I urge all of you that prayers be made for all people, for kings, for those in authority, for rulers, that we, the Christians, will live peaceful and godly lives in a holy way. This is good, says 1 Timothy chapter 2, and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people everywhere to be saved and come to a knowledge of Him. The prayer then and now is, according to God, the world is better off if governments allow church to just get on living for God. That is useful. And good, God says, for the whole of planet Earth. Then, now, and forever, usefulness, according to the Lord, is to consult Him about how we live. Now, don't get me wrong. If any non-Christian, non-church-going people are listening, and your teachers and doctors and police officers and sportsmen and charity workers or mums or grands or your students, I don't want you to think that I'm saying you're not of any use to planet Earth. Sometimes your work ethic puts us Christians to shame. Sometimes your love for other people put us Christians to shame. But here's what I am saying. The Lord wants you to go higher than that in life. Do that stuff and go higher. And here's why. Because while we thank God for all the scientists who have developed this vaccine 
there's still a greater problem that we have to address. And all of humanity has to go higher, another layer of usefulness to address this. Though we may get cured of COVID-19, we still have the problem of sin and death. And it's always going to be knocking on our door. And it's because of our lack of God and the way He wants us to live. That is the killer. So all doctors or all unemployed people and everyone in between has to realize this. We can be amazing at our job. We can be fully educated. We can win the Nobel Prize for whatever. If we don't have Jesus, according to the Bible, we are in many ways useless to the greatest problem in the world in dealing with that. And that is sin, death, and decay. And Jesus takes us higher. Now some people might be thinking now, oh man, I've got to join church and Jesus, how can I do that? I've lived my whole life, I, haven't, I don't even know anything about Jesus. I can't join His church and join the plan to save planet earth and be properly useful. Yes, you can. And I'll prove it. Because Moses is told, you're going to be part of church and you're going to talk about Jesus and He's going to save people and it's going to be useful. And Moses is like, oh no, wait, no I can't. And you might be thinking, oh wait, no, I can't. I'm not joining Park End Church. I'm not giving my life to Jesus. Here's Moses. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they... You ever thought that? Man, I'm not up for this task. And here's Moses again in chapter 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past. I'm slow of speech. And telling, Have you ever thought that? And he's an old man. And all the pains that that brings. And he is reminded... And so should you be, as you consider this life-changing message of becoming useful for the gospel of Jesus. He's reminded, Moses, it's the Lord's work. He will carry you through. He will handle life's big burdens. You just serve Him where you're at. And in verse 12 it says, Moses, I will teach you. And that's what salvation is all about and becoming useful. Learning from God where I'm at. And He will sort me out where I'm at. Dear friends, here and at home, Jesus saves weak people. That's what He does. He uses weak, imperfect people wherever they are in life if they would only come right now to Jesus. Lord, make me about higher stuff than grades and sports or diet Lord, I come to you. The world will call you to be your very best at this, 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 and this, and this. If you want this job, you have to have this, 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 and answer this question here and this question here. Jesus takes us as we are and then makes us useful. We come with our sin and our weaknesses, and He says, that's my requirement. Follow me. And today Jesus says, come as you are. Follow me. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says this, in church, in church life, many who, no, in the world, many who are first will be last. And the context is, in church, many who are last will be first. In church life, everything's different. You want to be useful? You don't have to have an A star in maths, though an A star in maths is great. You don't have to be super strong and mighty and leap 20 meters in the Olympics. Everything's different in church. 
You have to grasp this principle to be truly useful. To be weak is to be strong. If you're serving, you're actually leading in church. If you're dependent on God like a child every day, that is to be mature. And the great principle is this. The Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, hung Himself on a tree and died in weakness. But it's all upside down, isn't it? Because in that weakness, He heals the world from sin and death and darkness. And I'm just going to rattle off the three ways in which He teaches Moses how church can be really useful. Because it's the same then as now. And the first one, as Paula read, was this. The Lord said to Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses said, a staff. Children, that's like a big stick. Throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a snake. That's why you're drawing snakes, children. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the scary snake and it turned back into a stick, like a walking stick maybe, in his hand. How is it useful? How is church useful? Well, I'll tell you. That snake, and Moses would have known this, was a picture of Satan. Children, Satan. Now, Satan is scary. Like, you have souls, children. We're all going to live forever. And there's this invisible world of angels and God and the Holy Spirit. And you've got a soul which will one day be in heaven if you trust Jesus. And, and then there are some nasty angels, children. And the leader of the nasty one is Satan. And he's so scary. He's, he's like a snake. And Moses would have known that. Oh, it's the scary thing. I'm, I'm frightened of this. Of course, he's thinking about in Genesis when Satan is like a snake, see? And this Satan, he hates Jesus Christ. He hates church. In fact, he hates everyone. His other name is a destroyer, a liar, a murderer. He wants everybody in King Coyd in Cardiff right now to be crying and in pain. He's horrid. He's an abuser. He crushes people's hopes. He gets people hooked on nasty addictions and he loves it. And in this Bible, as Moses picks up that picture of that nasty thing and all things that make us frightened, he is in complete control of it. Because the Lord is in complete control of everything scary and nasty and things that keep us awake at night. And in the book of Ephesians, it says that serpent Satan and his whole spirit is under the foot of Christ and the church. He's a defeated, nasty enemy. And in church, we live in complete safety from all things scary like that. Because we have Jesus in complete control. That's useful. That's useful. The second one was Moses does something funny. Did you follow it? Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses does this. So Moses put inside hand inside his cloak and took it out and it was leprous like snow. It had a skin disease, probably leprosy. Now put it back in your cloak, says the Lord, and he put it in. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and took it out and it was restored back to 
normal. What's that about? Well, it's quite simple, um, everybody. Moses touches his own heart, pulls out his hand, and it's covered in a disease. It's almost like the Lord is saying, you've got a problem, Moses, and the world has got a problem. It's in our hearts, inside us, who we really are. We're often not really working as we should. So put your hand back in, and I will heal your heart. And now it comes, oh, he's made it better. He's making me better from here. And it's working its way outside. See, I think if we're honest, most upsets in life are not caused by Satan. They're caused by us. And we often do a lot of damage ourselves. I watched a program about World War II, and it was about Polish Jews. And there was a man called Leopold Soka, or Socha, and he rescues the Jews who are being picked on by the Germans. You'll learn about it in school, um, children. And he said this, he found people hiding in sewers because they were so scared of being bullied. And he said this, many people blamed God for the atrocities of World War II as if we needed any help from him to hate each other. We do it so easily. Do you ever find this? I can't stand that person. They've offended me and I want to get them. That's coming from our heart. Do you ever find this? You say nasty things about people. It comes so easily from within. It's like our hearts, the real us, are just that way. Well, how do we solve that? We listen to the Lord. We come to the Lord and we say, Lord, give me a new heart. Please take all that stuff. Put it on yourself as you die on a tree at Calvary. Take it to the grave. And when you rise again on the third day, which you have, Lord Jesus, please share with me that new life. Share with me. Take that old heart away, that heart of stone, and give me a new heart. And where do we celebrate that, children and adults? In church. And that's useful. In church, we say thank you through songs and prayers and sacraments and the Word and fellowship. That's useful. Changed people live in the way of God, the loving ways. Children and adults, how old are you? <laughs> how old are you? Well, say you're seven years old. I wonder what a seven-year-old Christian looks like. It looks like you. If you've come to Jesus. I wonder if you answered that and you said, 97, and you're one of the young people in Park End. 97 years old. What does a 97-year-old Christian look like who's got a heart of Jesus? A useful human. It looks like you. No one should go, I wonder what a Christian is who's seven years old. It's, it's that person there who goes to Park End Church and who trusts Jesus. They've got love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Because we've got the Holy Spirit. Because our old man has been crucified and now we live the, the, the risen life. So, things that you used to do before when you had a heart which is all about yourself, you don't do anymore. And children, if you go to a shop and the shopkeeper gives you too much change, there might have been a day where you'd have kept it for yourself. But now you count it up and you go, excuse me, you've given me too much change. I'm a Christian now. I don't want to steal a new heart. We used to make rude jokes and be nasty to people. But 
We've got a new heart. It's clean and we don't like rude jokes and we don't like being nasty to people anymore. We're like Jesus now. And when we used to get really angry with people and we wanted to duff them up and we thought we were in our rights to really get them, now we pray for them. You used to pay no attention to mum and dad. But now you're a Park End Jesus-centered Christian and of course you listen to mum and dad. You've got a new heart. That's the Jesus way. You used to pay no attention to your pastor and the elders. But now you do. Because you're a Christian. That's useful. And then the final sign was, verse 9, did you catch it? But if they do not believe these two signs, or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, that's a big river in Egypt, and pour it on the dry ground. And the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Blood on the ground? That's a strange one. What's that about? Good question. The Nile was the source of life and power and wealth flooding into Egypt. It was their life source. It brought so much prosperity. Egypt was a superpower. And everybody thought that kingdom is going to last forever. But the picture from Jesus is quite clear. Moses, that very source of power is going to be cut off. I am going to judge Egypt. Because for 400 years they have said no to me and no to my church. That picture of blood is the cost of sin. And if they don't trust Jesus paying the price for sin, they'll have to pay it themselves. And the message is this. What's being useful? It's not living for the earthly kingdoms. Egypt is long gone as a superpower. All kingdoms outside of Jesus Christ and His church end. So to live the useful life, we live for Jesus and His church, which never ends. Before World War I, Kaiser Wilhelm, who was largely blamed for World War I, he was an exceedingly headstrong man. He went to a church service and he heard a German preacher preaching about Jesus and his kingdom of peace and righteousness that will last forever. And the Kaiser was greatly offended. And afterwards, he pulled the preacher aside and he said, I never want to hear that kind of message again. It is not in keeping with the plans we have for the fatherland. What plans are we making today without God? Do you want to be useful? It'll all come to nothing unless you give your life to the kingdom that lasts forever and the king who will never be displaced. Moses was an old man and the very best years were yet to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.